0: Hi, my name is Mark Riggins, and I'm pastor here at Life Point, located in Plano, Texas, and we meet here every Sunday at 1030. And we are here for your family. I hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Well, good morning, Life Point. It's so good to see you all today. Thank you, Austin. Great job. Appreciate you doing that for us today. Yeah. Hey, if you're you're new, if this is your first time, we're in the middle of a series that we're calling Heroes, and what we're doing is we're taking these Old Testament characters and discovering how God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And so the first week we looked at Nehemiah, last week we looked at Elisha, and I can't wait to tell you about who we're going to look at today in just a minute. But first, I want to take a second and recognize what I believe are modern day heroes in the two retired pastors that just gave us these messages over the last two weeks pastor Griffin Jones and then our very own pastor George can we just give it up and say thank you thank you for them uh-uh. I'm always tempted in this moment to talk about all the people that we've seen fall in public ministry but we don't recognize those who didn't often enough and who are faithful to the end and so I just love these guys and grateful for their story Well, to kick off today, I want to do something a little bit unique, and I want to go all the way back and tell you a story about when Ginger and I think that we gave our kids the very perfect gift for Christmas. It was in 2012 when we gave them, for the first time, tickets to Disneyland, and they were between the ages of 4 and 11, and... uh, and they're worried that I'm about to show a video, but I'm not going to show a video, so you guys are good. We do have a video of it. But they reacted just like you would hope they would react. They were celebrating and screaming and running around and so excited because they were going to Disneyland. We weren't going to go that day. We just told them we're going to go in a few days. And it dawned on me, what if my kids came back to me two or three days later? And they said, you know, Dad, we've been thinking. I've <clears throat> been talking to some friends, and they've never been to Disneyland. We've never been to Disneyland. You've never taken us to Disneyland, yet you say you're going to take us to Disneyland, but based on the evidence as we've evaluated it, we don't think you're actually going to do that. (laughs) As a parent, I think I might have been a little indignant, a little angry, and a little bit hurt, all in one, right? Because we want our kids to trust what we say, especially when we want to do good things for them. In the same way, have you ever done this as a parent or maybe an uncle or an aunt where you're in the swimming pool and you ask your kids to jump in and trust you that you will catch them? And it's sort of this test and you're just kind of having fun. And when they look, they see all this danger and water around them. And you get your head and shoulders sticking out going, no, you can trust me. And they hear what you're saying, but they see what they're seeing. And maybe they take that jump and you're just so proud. And when they don't, you feel a little bit hurt because you want your kids to trust you even when it looks dangerous because you know things they don't? In the same way, if you're new to church, I want you to know that the Bible says that God is a father to us and that we are his children. And throughout the Bible, he says things to us that he wants us to trust. But here's the tension, and let's be honest, we all feel it. What do you do when there's a conflict between what you see? And what God says, God, I really want to trust you, but when I look in the mirror, I don't feel good about myself. I I don't feel like I have worth or I have value at times. But God says, no, you're infinitely worthy. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. There's a conflict between what I feel and what he said. Or what about whenever you're in that place of grief and you've lost someone and you're hurting And you're in that place where you think, I feel all alone. But God says, I will never leave you or forsake you. I am always with you. What about when God seems quiet and distant and you're like, where are you, God? And he's like, no, I'm with you. I'm walking with you. Every step, I am walking with you. What about whenever you're dating and you're like, man, I just want to find somebody attractive. I just want to find that good-looking woman, that good-looking man. And God says, don't forget to prioritize their faith and their character above everything else what if you're in that place where you're like you know what i just want to climb the corporate ladder i want to be successful because i am certain that will make me happy i want to be hashtag blessed right and then god is over here saying just remember it is more difficult for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich person to get into heaven what do i do when what i see conflicts with what god said What about when that place, like I'm overwhelmed with my bills and God says to be generous with giving? Like how in the world can I give to the kingdom ministry when I am facing what I am facing? What do you do, back to our question, what do you do when what you see conflicts with what God said? Can I just give you a heads up? All of us feel this way almost all of the time in some area of our life. There is a crossroads between what we see and what God said all the time. And that's what I love about today's hero. He wrestles with this out loud, and we're going to learn from his journey. Let me tell you, today's hero, his name is Gideon. And I love Gideon's story because Gideon is a mess just like us. And we get to see him live out loud this struggle between what he sees and what God said. And so I want to give you a little bit of history uh, so you can kind of understand where in history this story took place. But if you want to go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn with me to Judges chapter 6. The book of Judges is the seventh book in your Bible. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and then Judges. You'll find it. We're going to be in chapter 6. And here's what's important to know about this moment in history. We're at about 1200 B.C., And if you know anything about the Old Testament, you may have heard about the children of Israel or the nation of Israel. In a nutshell, the Old Testament is the forming of this nation and their development so they can eventually produce Jesus in the New Testament as the Messiah. That's a real simplistic way of looking at it. In the infancy stage of this nation, the nation of Israel, they eventually go into enslavement in the nation of Egypt. And after 400 years and this massive growth as a nation, they are miraculously freed, and the Bible calls that the Exodus. And then they go back to their homeland in Israel. It's while they're in Israel, and this is important for the era of the judges, before the era of the kings and after the era of the Exodus, there is the era of the judges, and that's where we're gonna pick up the story today. Here's what's significant about the era of of the judges. It's like the wild, wild west, right? Like these people have been enslaved for centuries and now they don't really have a formal form of government like kings like David and Solomon and Saul will eventually be. Right now they're just sort of like looking for a judge and a judge would be like a sheriff over a nation. They're just kind of in charge of stuff. Right, And it's not real organized in the way their military, their politics, or their government works. And so when we think of a judge, we think of a courtroom and somebody in a black robe with a gavel. When they had a judge, they just thought of the person in charge of everything. The military, the politics, the government, everything. Might was right. So some of the famous judges you may remember, like Deborah or Samson or Samuel. Well, Gideon is one of those judges during this Unique period of the Judges. And so we're around 1200 BC. It's in this season that this story takes place. And we are going to see at the end of this story the most unusual battle in human history. I am convinced that statement is true. You'll see if you think that at the end of the story. And we will have the most unlikely winner. So with that said, if you've got your Bibles, let's look at this story together. Judges chapter 6. As we pick up this journey of Gideon struggling with the conflict of what God said versus what he sees. Look, and we'll see the two, the, the, sort of the, the opposing foes as the battle scene is set. Judges chapter 6, beginning in verse 2. Because the power of Midian, now Midian is a neighboring nation to Israel. They're always being picked on during the era of Judges, because remember, they're not real formal in their government or their military, so they're kind of an easy target for neighboring nations, So because of the power of Midian was so oppressive. Now here's why it was so oppressive. The Midianites had 135,000 soldiers. Can you say that number out loud with me? Say that with me. 135,000. That's going to be an important number as we go through this, so I want you to have that in your mind. The Israelites, because this is the wild, wild west, they prepared shelters for themselves in the mountain cliffs in the caves and strongholds and whenever the Israelites planted their crops because they had to eat watch what happened just like a bullying nation the Midianites Amalekites and the other eastern peoples invaded the country it's like we're turning on the news today isn't it we see a bullying neighboring nation coming to a less capable military and nation this is 3,000 years old the story Look at verse four. They camped out on the land, this is the Amalekites and the Midianites, and they ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. So in other words, the Israelites had nothing to eat. It was like the bully was taking all their lunch and lunch money. Everything was gone. And then they came up with their livestock, this is the Midianites, and their tents, and they would come up like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. There were so many of them. And they invaded the land for one simple reason, to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites, now they are becoming desperate, that they cried out to the Lord for help. They are at their wits end. They're afraid for their lives. They're on the verge of starvation. The Israelites are being picked on by the Midianites again. And they are becoming desperate. Now, what we need to remember is during the era of the judges, there was this repeated cycle where the Israelites would follow God and he would protect them. Then they'd stop following God. And all of a sudden, nation would attack and they would become desperate for God again. And this cycle was over and over again, and we see it here again. They are becoming desperate because the Midianites, remember how many soldiers they have? 135,000. Watch how God responds to their desperate plea. In verse seven, when the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, the Lord sent them a prophet or a judge in Gideon. Gideon is the one he sent. Gideon is the commander in chief. He's the warrior in chief, but he's also the one just like me and you. He struggles between what God says and what he sees. There's a conflict. And you know why we know that? Because God tells Gideon, Gideon, I'm going to give you an army of 32,000 Israelites. And I want you to go and fight those Midianites. And I am supernaturally going to give you victory. And you know what Gideon thought? Heck no. (laughs) Right? Like, I don't like those odds. He could see, he's a smart man, like that's four to one odds. I'm not playing that game. So look what he says. We know he's thinking that because what he sees and what God says, there's a conflict. Look at verse 13. It says, pardon me, Lord. Like, don't you love that? You ever said that? You ever hear God say something or see some opportunity or you're reading in Scripture and you're like, pardon me, my Lord? It's totally okay to ask God, what are you thinking? But I love what Gideon does because now he's really about to push back. Look what he says. But if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Now we've got to stop right there. Have you ever thought that? God, if you're good, why is this happening to me? I've been faithful to serve you. Why is this the health report? Why is this the job forecast? Why is this the relational outcome? Why is this happening in my family if you're good God I've served you why would this be happening this is Gideon he's got God look I'm willing to do what you want me to do I think but I've first got to ask why is this even happening to us why do they keep coming and ravaging our entire nation he's desperate and he's being very frank with God but he's not done look at the rest of what he says where are all of God's wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? Referring to the Exodus. But now, Gideon says, the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. In other words, what Gideon is saying is it's been more than 250 years since you brought them out of the Exodus, out of Egypt, since you crossed the Red Sea. More than 200 years since you crossed the Jordan River into this land and you're saying you'll do supernatural my great 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 grandparents talk about you doing stuff that was supernatural but I've never seen you do anything supernatural and now you're telling me you're going to do supernatural I'm assuming because I haven't seen your miracles that you no longer do them I'm assuming because you're not rescuing us that you no longer are dealing with us where have you been if you are allowing this in other words what I'm seeing doesn't match who you claim you are and Gideon is wrestling because there's a conflict. You see, this is the crossroads that I bet some of you are in right now, because what you're seeing doesn't match who God says he is. And this is the battle, I believe, this is the crossroads of faith for all of us. This is why Paul said it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and verse 7. He says that we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by what God says, not by what we see. And man, that's a lot easier said than done, because think about these people of Israel. We've got to give them a break, right? At this point, they've been bullied by neighboring nations, and God says to them, but you're my chosen people. Doesn't match, does it? They've never seen God do anything supernatural in their lifetime, and yet God is saying, I'm going to do something supernatural. It doesn't match here, does it? They're beginning to wonder, I don't know. So, so Gideon's the one who, who starts asking for visual evidence. He goes, you know what, God, I'm sorry, but I, I got to see something. And so he has this famous thing that he does with the, called a fleece where he would say, I want to take this piece of wool and I want it to be dry and the dew around it will make the ground around it wet. God does it. He goes, okay, I see that. Now, uh, I still don't believe. I'm going to need more than that. So he goes, can you reverse it so I'll know it was you. So God reverses it. Now that's wet and everything else is dry. Okay, now I see that, good. Now I still don't believe. I'm struggling, right? That's Gideon because he's like us. Here's what it, it reveals. When it comes to matters of faith, seeing is not believing. Faith will always require a step of the unseen so that God will step in and intervene with divine, supernatural power. And in this moment, Gideon is really struggling. He's like, I don't know. I I just don't see it. I I don't understand it. There's a conflict here. And so we're going to get to chapter 7 now. If you've got your Bibles, I hope you'll turn over and see the story because now we're getting really close to the most unusual battle in human history with the most unexpected outcome. See, at this point, there are 32,000 soldiers in the Israelite army. There are 135,000 in the Midianite army. And so look What the Lord says to Gideon, who's struggling, he doesn't even necessarily want to be there, but he knows he's supposed to be, so he's showing up, but he is full of doubt. And look what God says to him in Judges chapter seven in verse two, it says, the Lord said to Gideon, and I love this, watch this, you have, say these next three words with me, too many men. Say that one more time, too many. Don't you think he thought, Oh, God, you misspoke. You mean the Midianites have too many men. We don't have too many men. We don't have enough men. Is that what you meant to say, God, if I can help you out here a little bit? We have too many men? Why in the world and how in the world do we have too many men? And watch what the Lord goes on to say why he's saying you have too many men. You have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into your hands or their hands, or if I did, Israel would boast against me saying my own strength has saved me in other words you have too many men because you will be tempted to take the credit when I give you victory in other words the gra- the gap's not big enough because if there is even a slice of opportunity for us to take credit God says we will and you have too many men because you will be tempted to take credit in other words God wants the glory and this is something jesus said in his most famous message ever the sermon on the mount in matthew chapter 5 16 look what he says in the same way let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds right but in seeing your good deeds they will glorify your father in heaven god wants the credit for your success He wants the glory, and he knew Gideon would be tempted to take the credit with that small of a gap. You see, it turns out that that gap that we feel between what we see and what God says is actually intentional. The bigger the gap between what you see and what God says, the more your faith grows and the more glory God gets. It's actually an opportunity so let me get real personal here and ask you this question where in your life are you living by sight and not by faith we all have this area where we're at least tempted to live based on what we see versus what God says where in your life are you tempted to live by sight now it's about to get a lot worse for Gideon. We'll just kind of warn you in advance. We're gonna get to that unusual battle in a second, but first you gotta see the next verse. In verse three, God says to poor Gideon, I just feel sorry for this guy all the way through, maybe because I see his, I feel his fear in me based on some of the things God can say to us. Look at verse three, it says, now announce to the army, you know that 32,000 person army? Announce to them that anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So watch this. 22,000 men left. They quit. They vanished. And 10,000 remained. Can you imagine that scene of 22,000 men leaving? How long would that take? Did they trickle away? Did they leave in mass? We don't know. I mean, let's be honest, we're all tempted to quit at times, aren't we? Some of the reasons they may have been tempted to quit was because they were so overwhelmed or because they were tired or because they were afraid or maybe they felt inadequate. Maybe they didn't exactly know what to do. And maybe that's how you feel in some area of your life. But can I just tell you, sometimes the most courageous thing to do is just show up. And 10,000 showed up that day and 22,000 went home. Now, some of us who are here today, we want more from God We want more from our faith. We want our faith to grow in greater ways. And can I tell you that in the Bible, there is a repeated pattern that we see God growing people's faith. And if you want to know God more, if you want to grow your faith, if you want to have a more intimate relationship with him, we see this repeated pattern over and over again. And it is this. God loves to put people in a position where what they see conflicts with what he says. So if you find yourself there today, it might just be an invitation from our Father for your faith to grow and for him to get the glory. See, he tells Gideon, Gideon, you're going to win. And Gideon's like, not a chance. I see what I see. But here's what we're going to discover. Christian heroes, they trust what God says more than what they see. And this is a lot easier to say than it is to do. So we're going to watch because it's about to get worse. Watch this. In verse 4. But the Lord said to Gideon, I know you have 10,000. I know they have 135,000. The odds are now 13 and a half to one. But there are still, say these three words with me, too many men. Wait, did I just hear you again, God? Because I thought you said too many men. I thought we dealt with this already. He's like, yeah, we did, and we're going to deal with it again because the gap's still not big enough. I sense that if you were to be given victory, you might still take credit. And here's a principle that we see here. In fact, we see it all throughout Scripture, and it is this. The more resources that we have, the less dependent on God we tend to be. The more gifted we are, the more we've been given, the more opportunities we have. If we aren't careful, the the less dependent upon God we tend to be. So in this moment, God has another plan. He's about to thin the army more. But now he's going to take a drastic approach. Look at the rest of verse 4. Here's what I want you to do, Gideon. Take them down to the water, all 10,000, and I will thin them out for you there. I'm sure Gideon's thinking, thank you for that. And if I say, this one shall go with you, well, then he shall go. But if I say, this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon, being obedient, he took the men down to the water, and there the Lord told him, and this is, kind of, this is kind of unusual because we don't drink water this way, separate those who lap the water with their tongues, meaning they got on all fours, as a dog from those who kneel down on one knee to drink. So 300, it turns out, got down on one knee, and they would cup their hands and bring the water to them to get the drink. And all the rest got down on both of their knees and their hands to drink. Now, when I've heard this story taught in the past, I was always taught and given the impression that these 300 who lapped the water by cupping their hands were sort of cautious and great, like Navy SEAL-like warriors. They were like the Delta Force Army Rangers, right, of these 10,000. These were the 300 elite because they knew how to do everything, including drink water. But that doesn't match the context of this chapter at all, does it? Because in this chapter, God is actually saying He wants to use less human might and more of God's might. He not only wants less quality, He wants less quantity so that God gets the glory. And I think sometimes we want to read into the passage that these were Navy SEAL like 300 because we can't help but want to get some of the glory. It's our way of saying, look what those guys did. And God's saying, no, the story is about, look what God did. I can't help but wonder, with the context of this story, if what's really going on, if the 300 who only kneeled to one knee was because they had physical limitations, maybe they were older, maybe they were weaker, maybe they were less capable, and God said, it is with these 300 men, I will now win the battle. Now let's be realistic. Gideon's thinking, that's my army, right? Isn't that what you would be thinking? 300 to 135,000, the odds are now 450 to 1. It would be like everyone in this room having a sword and me being up here by myself with one little sword taking all of you on. Anybody vote on me? I mean, somebody, right? You're all feeling pretty confident, aren't you? I'm thinking that's the way the Midianites felt. I think they thought, we got this. The problem is that's exactly how Gideon felt because he saw what he saw and yet he can't dispute what God is saying. But there's a conflict. And now the gap's really big. Now there's 300 against 135,000 and something in God goes, now it's a fair fight. Now let's go. And so he knows he's going to have to talk Gideon into it, though. So look what he says in verse 9. He says, During the night, the Lord said to Gideon, and he kind of wakes him up, and he says, Get up and go down against the camp, because I am going to give it into your hands. I'm going to do this, Gideon. Now, let's be honest. Gideon is scared to death. Wouldn't you be? Maybe you are. Maybe you're there right now and you're afraid. This is exactly how Gideon felt because look at the beginning of verse 10. God says to Gideon, God didn't mind that Gideon was doubting. God didn't seem to mind that Gideon was afraid. In fact, he says, if you are afraid, he didn't say suck it up buttercup, right? He says, if you are afraid, look what he says. If you're afraid to attack, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down to the camp with your servant Pura. You're going to leave the other 298. And I want you to listen or eavesdrop in on a conversation. And afterwards, you're going to be encouraged to attack the camp. God knew what Gideon needed in order to have that final step of courage. And here's the thing I love about this story it turns out Christian heroes are not fearless, we're just ordinary people. All of us are ordinary people through whom God loves to do extraordinary things. But he brings us to a crossroads between what we see and what he says. And now, he's going to eavesdrop on this conversation. Look at verse 13. So Gideon arrived just as one of the men, the Midianites, was telling another Midianite soldier about his dream. And he goes, hey, I had this dream, a round loaf of barley bread came tumbling into the Midianite camp and it struck the tent with such force that the tent overturned and collapsed. And the other soldier goes, well, I can interpret that dream. Meanwhile, Gideon is behind a bush just kind of listening, right? Here's the interpretation. The other soldier says, this can be nothing other than the sword of Gideon, son of Joash, the Israelite. God has given the Midianites and the whole camp into Israel. His hands, we're going to lose to Gideon and his impressive army. (laughs) And for the first time, Gideon's jaw drops and he thinks, they're afraid of me and our army? The only reason they can be afraid of me is because of God doing what he said he was going to do. And for the first time, I believe, he started to believe. And you know why we know that Gideon starts to believe for the first time? Because look what he does next in verse 15. When Gideon heard the dream and its interpretation, he bowed down and worshipped. In humility, he knows why they're afraid. And then watch what he does. He's so excited. He's got to go back and tell the the rest of the army. He returned to the camp of Israel and called out, when he's waking them up, get up, get up. The Lord, not me, but the Lord has given the Midianite camp into your hands. It's time to go fight. And they're like, okay, let's go. 300 against 135. I don't know how this is going to work, but let's go. And so they go. And now we see the most unorthodox battle scene in human history. Look at verse 19, and we'll see the unlikely winner. This is the collision between what God said versus what Gideon saw. So Gideon and the hundred men, so they divided the 300 into three camps, three companies of a hundred, went with them, and they reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch or in the middle of the night, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets And they broke jars that were in their hands. They're making all this noise. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. You can imagine the sound of night as they had been asleep, hearing all the commotion around them. And then grasping the torches in their left hand and holding in their right hands the trumpets, they were to blow, they shouted a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Now, We don't know what in the world's going through the minds of the Midianites, but they're in the middle of a sleep, and so they're probably disoriented. There's a lot of chaos, and they're hearing all this noise. And historically, whenever there would have been a torch or a trumpeter, it normally represented about a 1,000 soldiers. And there's possibility in their minds, they see themselves surrounded by 300,000 soldiers, and they hear all the noise and all the chaos, and immediately watch what they do to sort of forfeit the battle in verse 21. While each man, the Israelites, held his position, around the camp all the Midianites ran crying out as they fled game over, set, match Gideon wins because God did exactly what he said but here's the point the Midianites believed what they saw and they lost the Israelites believed what God said and they won and the difference is they did the Israelites what Christian heroes do they trusted what God said more than what they could see it didn't make any sense except there must be a God on his throne who really is in control even when I can't exactly see a way through and for some of us today we need to hang on to that truth That this same God that we serve is speaking to you, is inviting you into a season to trust him, to jump into the pool and just trust him, to know that he really has good things for you, that he really is loving, that he really is present, that he really has you in his hand, even when you can't see a way forward right now. To trust God and what he said even more. Maybe there's a moral issue in our culture that you look and you're struggling with how culture sees it. That we can trust God with what he said more than what we see. This is a step of faith. And I believe it is the great crossroads for all of us where our faith grows. I want you to check out this video. It's a video by actor Stephen Baldwin. A little bit of his own story. Watch this.
1: What was missing was the satisfaction. My life before Christ was uh, focused on making money. My life before Christ was uh, a totally day in and day out uh, existence that was. Uh, unbeknownst to me at the time, uh, uh, an existence of self-absorbance, and you know, just doing what you normally do when you're trying to maintain a career in the movie business. Loving Jesus is what's most important to me. And I, uh, I know that sounds hokey, but it's the truth. My life is God's life in me for him to do with what he wants. My wife and I were living in Tucson, Arizona about 16 years ago almost, and through the family we hired this cleaning woman. She's working with us for about two weeks and my wife kind of notices her singing that she does every day in her work. Eventually, after a few more days of this, went to Augusta and said, you know, I noticed your singing and um, I was just curious, you know, why is every song about Jesus, Uh, perhaps there's another tune in your repertoire, so to speak. Um, And Augusta had a very interesting reaction uh, to the question. She literally burst out laughing in my wife's face. (laughs) I just had to do that, sorry. And Augusta said, you know, again, um, understand that the reason that I'm laughing is uh, you think the only reason that I'm here is to clean your house. Oh, so my wife, <laughs> she says, honey, um, I, I'd like to share with you something that Augusta just told me. And I said, what's that, dear? And she said, uh, well, she just explained to me that the real reason she's here is because in the future, you and I are going to become born-again Christians, and at some point after that, we're going to have our own ministry. And I said, really? Hmm. At that point in my career, I was making more money than I could ever wildly imagine. And just to, to hear uh, that idea vocalized at that point in time was utterly ridiculous. Uh, but um, that's the beginning of the journey for me. When I got to a place of willingness to just simply say to myself, okay, I'm willing to believe that Jesus Christ is the savior of the world. And I'm now going to ask God to show me what that means. And I'm gonna read the Bible and apply it to my life to the best of my ability to have that understanding. That's when uh, this whole experience became very, very real for me. I'm Stephen Baldwin, I am second.
0: I love the reality of what he said there at the end when he said, "When I started to trust the Bible, that's when everything changed for me. When I started to trust what God said over what I see, that's when everything changes for all of us." And see, it's not just Gideon, it's not just Nehemiah or Elisha, but the Bible is full of heroes, history is full of heroes. People who struggled with the things that you're struggling with today and they came to that crossroads and they decided to take a leap and just trust what God said. And over and over again, God did extraordinary things through ordinary people like us. When we take the step of faith to trust what God has said, even in the face of things that don't seem to quite make sense. And that's why this is our memory verse. I believe there is a cloud of witnesses who are cheering you and I on In this moment, because they know exactly what you're facing and they've seen God come through. So I want us to say this memory verse again together. In fact, would you just stand with me? It's Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Would you say this verse out loud with me as we remember what God has done and what He will do? Say it with me. Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, let us And let us, Hebrews 12, 1, as we think about what God has done and what he's saying to you today, I can't help but wonder, I've got to ask you one more time, where in your life are you walking by sight and not by faith? Is there an area right now where you would look in your own heart, and you would look in your own life, and you would say, you know what, right now, I can't explain it, but there are times I just feel worthless, and I know God says I'm infinitely worthy, but I struggle to embrace that. At times he feels distant, and I know he says he's always with me, but I'm going through some stuff right now that that I never expected to be going through, And, and he promises to walk with me through this valley, but I'll be honest with you, I'm struggling to really trust him here. Maybe you're in the place where you would say, man, I've got all this debt and and I know God is inviting me to be generous, but I'm struggling to, to obey what he said based on what I'm seeing. Maybe you're in that place where you're just grieving and you feel a void in your life that only God can fill and you're wrestling to trust him here. Wherever you are in your life, here's what I know. He promises us, that he will never leave us or forsake us, and he invites us to walk by faith and not by sight. And I believe Gideon would lean over heaven if he could right now and say, I know it's hard to believe, but trust him. So here's what I want us to do. Just right where you stand today, would you just close your eyes for a second and give everyone in this room a moment of privacy? And I just wanna ask you, as we all have our eyes closed for just a second, how many of you would say, you know what, in my life right now, I see an area where I'm tempted to walk by sight and not by faith. And I believe God is inviting me to take a step of trust. If that's you, would you just raise your hand so we can pray for you this morning? Yeah, many of you, who else? There you go, amen, lots of, probably most of us, yeah. So then here's what we're gonna do. You can open your eyes, I just wanna tell you something. At the end of the day, we're not here to do a service, we're not here to do a message, we're not here to kind of check off a box, but we're here to do business with God, right? And all of us want to know Him more, and we get to support each other in a way through prayer, because sometimes in order to take a supernatural step of faith, I need a supernatural encouragement. So that's what we want to offer today. So I want to ask those of you who are willing, those Stevens ministers, if you would just go ahead and get in place. We're going to have some people up here at the front. We're going to have some people at the back who are going to be available just simply to pray for you. And here's why. Because I believe sometimes in order to really take a serious step of faith, we have to be courageous enough to kind of invite people to pray with us on the journey. So maybe you want to tell them where you're struggling or maybe you just want to say, look, would you just pray for me? And they're going to pray that God will help you trust what he says more than what you see. And what we're going to do is we're going to close here in a minute with a song, and then we're just going to give you an opportunity to pray, to to step out into the aisle and come down here or go to the back and receive prayer support. And let me just tell you, because I know if you're like me, you're thinking, man, that's the last thing I want to do. You want to stay where you are and pray, and you're certainly welcome to do that. But let me tell you, if I see you move, here's what I'm going to think about you. I'm going to go, there's a person who's courageous enough and serious about their faith that they're going to step out and they're going to invite God to use someone else's prayer to really move their faith forward because they are serious about the faith of knowing and following Jesus Christ. And so we want to convert this room into a house of prayer. We want to support you in this way. So I want to invite the the worship team to kind of come and just lead us in a song. And right here, right now, I want to invite you to step out and take that courageous step of faith and let us pray for you today. May we be people who walk by faith and not by sight. Amen? So today, as we sing together, won't you come? And let's make this a house of prayer today. I hope today's message was an encouragement to you. And if you'd like a little more information about our church, just visit us on our website at lifepointplano.org.